0: everybody and welcome to week 6 of 52 weeks of empowerment. I am Andrea Pagnosi I am a career success coach as well as the podcast host and I am fiercely dedicated to getting people to where they would rather be in their career in 2022. For the last few weeks, we have had the opportunity to break down some of the barriers that are holding us back. And we've looked at it from an individual perspective. Today, we're gonna look at it from a perspective that's more global, more organizational. And for that examination, I have a great guest. In recent months, millions of people have lost their jobs by choice. They've left them by choice, some for greener pastures, some for their couch. The old adage of it's easier to find a job when you have a job has kind of flown out the window and for many reasons. But the most interesting thing is that while people want to blame the pandemic for some of this, it still comes down to three things. When you Talk to organizations about extreme turnover that they're faced with right now. They'll talk to you about the exit interviews that these people conduct when they leave. And if they're honest enough, it's coming down to the same three things that prior to the pandemic, people were leaving for. Number one, lack of community or connection. Number two, not feeling supported by the leaders of the organization or of the organization itself. And number three, no clarity of role or direction. So today we're in for a great deal of knowledge, solutions experts perspective. I'm joined today by an esteemed colleague who is the founder of Retain My Team and the Legendary Leaders Club. She's also the co-founder of Robinson Alliance Group and is a true champion of people. Having worked in talent development for over 20 years, she's won numerous awards, published multiple art, and has Been recognized for accelerating performance for a spectrum of companies. As a keynote speaker, she's been featured on NBC, CBS, Fox News, and USA Today. And it is my extreme pleasure to welcome Rhonda Robinson to our program. Rhonda, welcome.
1: Thanks, Andrea. It's great to be back talking to you. I hope that the folks that are listening have a lot of time because you and I, when we get going, it's fire. (laughs) It is fire.
0: I am so blessed that you're here today. A lot of what you do, it's funny, I was just having a conversation with a gentleman last week who was prospectively looking for a career coach. He's a leader at an organization, mid-sized organization, and has all the right attitude. He wants to turn around the bleeding that's happening, the turnover that's happening. And he's on board with his company. It's not like he, he dislikes his manager. It's none of those things. He believes in what they're trying to do, is a passion for his team. He's just tired of the turnover. And he said, the company itself is... Is really not helping itself to turn things around. And I thought, man, this is exactly what Rhonda and I are going to be talking about. So this couldn't be more better time. But before we get into that part, please share with our listeners how your career has evolved into what you're doing today.
1: Sure. I think like most people, they just kind of find themselves in a place that their DNA naturally takes them. So I have been in the training and and talent development space with pharma and biotech, well, for 30 years. Some of that was in sales and sales management, but most of it has been in training and development. I come from a long line of teachers, so literally training and development's in my DNA. But what's unique about the role that I held is that people will tell you things that they don't tell their manager, they won't tell HR, you know, as one of the first faces for new hires in an organization, trainers kind of become your your blankie. <laughs> Your, you know, <laughs> your source of support and, and information to get oriented into the company. So through all of that time, and I love the startup companies. And so startup companies are wildly successful and you get bought or you're not so much. And you fold and move on to the next gig through my career. I've been through five mergers and acquisitions. And while all of them went well on paper, none of them went well for the people. So here's why I'm telling you this. Just like the gentleman that you just spoke about, I think that people leaders want to do right by their team. They really do care. It's just that the whole business of doing business takes a lot of time and energy and focus and timelines wait for no man. Mm -hmm. And so you get so busy doing the work. That it's very easy to continue to put off, put off. I should do something for my person. I know this is a problem. I need to address it. But, you know, the next deadline's ahead of you. I can really empathize with your person's story. They want to do the right thing. But also figuring out what to do takes a lot of reflection, energy, and investment to put plans in place to do something to build the culture, build the relationships that you want to.
0: Absolutely. We both came from the life sciences industry. And I've noticed, particularly with those companies, not just endemic to those companies, that industry more than others touts customer centricity. They talk a lot about that. An irony to look back in my career on is if you're all about customers who are people, then to me, you need to be people centric in general. And cultivate the community that is closest to the customer. Are you seeing companies becoming more people-centric?
1: Absolutely. Um, And what the research also shows is that when corporations show their employees that they are aware and care about them as people, it has a flywheel effect. And that translates over into how the customers feel as well. Just like, you know, if you feel cared for and secure, it's easier for you to make other people feel cared for and secure because you're filled up. And so you have that to give. If you don't have that in your life, if you don't have that in your corporation, it drains your energy and you don't have as much energy to give forward to your customers, your family, your relationships, your friends. So it's absolutely a ripple effect.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact that you're using the word energy too. Are companies aware of how much energy plays a role in why they're facing so much turnover and why there's so much
1: unrest people-wise? I don't think that they have reflected on that explicitly. So it takes an understanding of how the brain works and how people work to really figure out the phenomenon that's going on and the solutions that can help to overcome them. So what do I mean by that? There are triggers of emotions that drive people's behavior in social settings and work as a social. And those triggers can either foster a disengaged response, unhappy, I'm pulling away from you response, or a lean in, be happy, I'm all in, an engaged response. As you can imagine, if you have some sort of a trigger that is negative, let's say you are not being included in areas of the business where you feel like you should be included. People aren't coming to you. They're not um, bringing you into meetings. They're not inviting you to social gatherings, whatever that, that looks like at your company that now is pulling you away from your company. You're feeling disengaged and pulled back. What's also happening is you're spending a lot of time in your own head thinking about this. Why don't they like me? How can I get involved? What am I doing wrong? They're just jerks. Whatever is going through your head, now you're not spending that focus time on work. And so the cost of disengagement is translated all the way to the bottom line. People don't have to quit for it to cost companies money. That
0: is, you just said a mouthful there. And I, I love the terminology, the cost of disengagement. You've developed two solutions you also mentioned a little bit about both of these things that you've created are both cutting edge solutions and they have this people first focus to them. And what made me a personal fan of these programs, having a history of background in training and organizational development is the blend of neuroscience how the brain works, the art of performance improvement, how people work, and the creative thinking that's involved. How did you solve for that? How did you create these tools?
1: Oh, that's just kind of one of my gifts is I've been told even since like high school that I've been able to pull seemingly unrelated things together into a voila, easy bake oven cake. So it's just kind of where, where my, um, my skills lie. I'm circling back to about 2008. That was the first merger and acquisition that I went through and you, the pain for the people was so palpable. And I remember distinctly, you know, those feelings still come bubbling back. There has to be a better way. Why can't these things go better and be more, palatable for people going through these experiences. And just about that time, there was behavioral neuroscience research that was coming out, looking at how the brain receives processes and reacts to different types of information and stimuli. And I thought, well, I love the startup space. It's highly likely this is going to happen again, but I want to do my best to make it easier for my circle whenever that takes place. And since then I've become a fevered student of behavioral neuroscience and psychology and how all of this plays out that combined with just feet on the street experience of, like I said, people will tell you things that they don't tell other parts of the organization about really what makes them happy and what makes them ticked off. You hear the water cooler talk about, Oh, my boss is the best. Guess what she did for me? Or you know what? I can't believe this guy even works for the company. How did he get into this job? Let me tell you about him. So blending all of that, how people work with the behavioral neuroscience. But the creativity part is more of, I know that when I'm busy and I just need a solution, what do I do? I just go find a tool. I don't have time to think and create it myself. And so when I left the industry I left it with a mission of bringing more humanity to work. I saw it too many times play out. And I thought, how can I make a difference, not just in my organization and in my circle, but for more people? And I created a lot of these tools along the way anyway, even if they were informal and things that I was just doing or helping other people leaders in the organization do. So voila, I'm here to help. I love it. And
0: what's interesting is you're taking a lot of the guesswork out of the long-term building of good behaviors. I find a lot of companies tend to to check boxes in this department, right? They see a problem, they identify it, and then they buy some off-the-shelf program, or they create one themselves. I can remember 2020 in the wake of a lot of racial unrest, there was a lot on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is a very necessary training for companies to go through and to take seriously. And it was kind of a one and done. We're going to do a program and we'll do a survey and that's it. What I like about your solutions is that there's a sustainability to them. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Sure. So the design of these tools is to develop good habits without necessarily needing a mind shift change first. Most programs are asking you to shift your mind, to change your mind shift, and then they give you the tools to apply once you've done that. So I'm going to use a word that is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. That word is empathy. So this whole idea of bringing humanity into the workplace is actually just having an empathetic mindset. That's what people first meet is being able to empathize what the other person may or may not be experiencing in order for you to be more informed on how you interact. So there is a group of people that understand empathy. They're very much into it. They're very comfortable talking about it. Unfortunately, in particular in the U S we have been trained to leave feelings at the door. As soon as you clock in, we know talkie about personal stuff. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But you know what? People are still people, their problems, their issues, their everything comes with them where they go, which includes work. And so for a lot of people, empathy is as comfortable as wearing wet socks. Mm -hmm. I just like, oh, I don't know about that. Great analogy. So these tools are designed to teach good habits. I'll give you an example that we can all relate to. Do you remember when you were a little kid and your parents were trying to teach you to say please and thank you? Oh so, yeah. So if you want something, you have to say please. And it was very mechanical, please. And then if you got something, you're supposed to say, thank you. Mechanical. Thank you. But then you see the reaction of the person that you're saying, please. And thank you to, oh, you're such a polite child. I am. Aren't I? And you start to do it voluntarily, and then it just becomes a habit. So I'll give you examples of the hiring and onboarding module that we have, which is where we always start in an organization, especially now, Mm -hmm. trying to get people, attract people and get them to stay is the most important thing right now. In the hiring and onboarding process, we have a CARES survey. And this CARES survey is a quick little five-minute survey that the candidate takes prior to interviewing. And it bubbles up and gives a report that articulates what employees care about beyond salary and benefits. It's things around like certainty, autonomy, being included, equality and fairness, feeling valued and being recognized. Things that we know that they, they want We're not used to talking about this and certainly not in the interview, but guess what? They just left a company with these things in their mind. They may not have formulated the whole rationale, but when they're looking for a new company, they'll just know it when they see it. By doing this care survey, they now can articulate what's important to them. You know what? I really have a sense of fairness and I really want to feel feel valued and recognized in my role. If those are the two things that are most important to me, now this survey result goes to the hiring manager and talent acquisition specialist. And we give them a conversation starter. Like how do we start talking about these things? Then we give interview questions to uncover a little bit more, peel those layers back and really get to know them as a person. How is recognition show up best for them? How do they like to feel valued? Where has it been missing? And all of a sudden in that conversation, the candidate saying, you get, this is awesome. No one's ever asked me these things before. Now the manager who's using these interview questions is like, I am a good manager. I'm asking good questions. We're connecting here. The candidate saying, I want to work for you. This is great. Then we add in some company positioning statements where if someone likes to feel valued and recognized. Fill in the blank. What is our company doing for an employee recognition program? And guess what? If you don't have one, you're gonna know that you need it very fast as you're getting the results of these surveys coming in.
0: Very, very creative. That's awesome. That's awesome. And when you work with company, have they come to you and said this is an issue that we see? Or what are they coming to you and saying, hey, Rhonda, help is the catalyst?"
1: You know, they, the old saying of what's in a name. They see retain my team and they just want to know more. It doesn't go much further than that. Retain my team. Yes, please. How can we help? And uh, it's really amazing to me though, in our very first conversation, I get to the chase pretty quickly. We talk about company size, what's their turnover rate, and what's the average salary of that group that's leaving. So for example, if you have a company size of about 6,000 and even just with a 10% turnover rate, that's 600 employees a year. And let's say, you know, this is an average salary just for purposes of math, $100,000 a year. We know from research that it takes between one half to two times a person's salary to replace them. So let's err on the side of conservative. 600 employees, $100,000 a year. We're going to divide that by two. So 600 employees times $50,000 a year. That company's losing $30 million a year in turnover. It's crazy. And I'm surprised at the number of people I talk to that have never done that math. They just consider it a cost of doing business. No one's looking at the bottom line. Well, what if you could reduce that number by even 10%? What a hero to the CEO, CFO. I just found $3 million that you can put back into your p l That you can, you know, redeploy that capital into employee benefits, into leadership programs, into software upgrades, research and development. Three million dollars can go a long way if you just can do something to show employees that you care.
0: That's genius. How does legendary leaders play a role with retain my team? Do the two intersect? How How does that work?
1: Absolutely. So they go hand in hand. So with Retain My Team, we do have three modules, hiring and onboarding, leadership development, and then organizational culture. All are designed with these turnkey tools, but in escalating fashion and with more and more consulting and training that goes with each one. Legendary Leaders Club, though, is reserved for those who really want to invest in themselves and invest in their teams. It's a very intensive coaching program, uh, one-on-one with me or in groups, depending on your your preference. it actually develops those skills of empathy, which by the way, if you are a leader in a high IQ talent pool, it is clear research from a couple of different organizations that empathy is the number one power skill that differentiates legendary leaders from average ones. And so for those who really want to become and not tongue in cheek, a legendary leader, this is a coaching program that we invest in and we build those skills.
0: I want to look at the flip side of that coin too. I had an interesting conversation with an HR executive a few weeks back, and she was saying to me that we've got to pick up the slack where we are amalgamating three generations in the workforce over the next 10 years. We're going to have the Gen Xers. You're going to have the millennials and then you're going to have the Gen Zers coming into the workforce. People scoff at the generational thing, but there really is a divide, especially with the world we live in that's very virtual. And all of these generations are pretty much digital native. But particularly with the millennials and the Gen Zers, they require a different type of coaching, requires people to be there and be very explicit about how they are supposed to conduct their day to day, what the expectations are, how they're measured. They want information, but they are used to having everything at their fingertips. So how do you foresee those changes affecting these legendary leaders as time progresses? What can they be doing to further invest in themselves, to be prepared for having empathy for people that need it in a different way than the the typical?
1: Sure. So a little bit of it is having information at your fingertips all the time creates a dependency and that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's available. It's a shortcut for time and energy and less things that your brain needs to remember, retain and manage. But when you are feet on the street, you know, with a team as generational folks evolve in their leadership, you know what? You're going to have to be agile and you're going to have to lead on the fly. You don't have, you can't say, "Um, Andrea, would you hold one moment, please? I'm going to look up what to say to you. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so that's the whole idea is that they need to be thinking about how to untether themselves from technology in order to be able to stand on their own two feet and operate as a human being. You know, it's, it's no different than, you know, my husband and I will watch a a fair amount of TV and we love to like, Oh, that person was in this and such movie. And when you can't think of it, what do you do pick up the phone? Oh, that's the movie that what they were in. Mm -hmm. Well, now we've lost the moment in the movie, and you have to pause, go back and rewind, it's very disruptive. So think about that scenario when you're interacting with a person, you want to be present, you just mentioned that having, you know, that connection of one on one My attention, my focus is on you, not the technology. Um, So there's a relatability factor that comes along with being able to coach on your own without a dependence on the technology.
0: Absolutely. And this is something that we're going to have to evolve with, I think, as time goes on, too. I love the sustainability, as I mentioned earlier, about your products, that they grow with the organization. And that they're not just fundamentally creating new and better habits, but creating solutions and strategies to implement to support those new and better habits. So I I appreciate that. How best to work with you? How do companies get in touch with you? Pretty simple. RetainMyTeam.com. I love it. We're also going to put that link in the information section of this podcast. When you talk about your company's mission, what's the thing that you want your clients to walk away with.
1: Yeah. So the company's mission is simply to infuse more humanity at work. And we don't want that to be an overwhelming thought so that people don't take action because we've designed the tools to do the thinking for you, your desires there. Let's just give you the tools. If this do that, that's always at your fingertips when you need it. As you develop these new habits, you can dig deeper into the tools and add more to your armamentarium, but we know that leaders are busy. We know that it's all they can do some days just to get the work done, but they still want to do things for their team. So this hits that sweet spot down the middle where you can just pull out your bag of tricks from the tools, pay attention, show your team that you are aware and that you care about them. They're gonna give you so much more in return which means your workload now is going to be relieved. You're going to retain more people, which means you have more hands on deck. Everybody wins. Employees are happy. They stay longer. Your work is reduced. Companies save thousands to millions of dollars in turnover.
0: Well, you you sold me on that. That's for sure. I can't think of anything better, any better way to, to promote people centricity than bringing humanity to the workplace. I really want to thank you for not only joining today, but for sharing your mission and whatever we can do to support you in that. We're going to do it because this is, this is empowerment folks. This is what 52 weeks of empowerment is all about. It's aligning with people like Rhonda who are trying to align with companies to make the organizations run more fluently and more people centrically. So they're a good place to work for. And you're going to want to stay. Thank you so much, Rhonda for doing what you do and for joining us today.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure, Andrea. You're doing some great work, empowerment's where it starts. When you're empowered, you start to take action, you own it. And so we've got how many more weeks left? 50, 46 more weeks? That's right. Nice. We'd like to have you back before the end of the
0: year to talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that you've done and and talk about progress you've made because I guarantee once you get, progress will be made. We'll make sure you guys have all the information about Retain My Team and the Legendary Leaders Club. Thank you once again, Rhonda. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Andrea. Hey, everybody. That's it for this week. We'll connect with you next week. Same time, same place, more power.